We're going to look at a very familiar parable today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, let me warn you before we start that it's very easy to take something as this familiar, this parable is known not only to Christians, but I mean throughout literary history, this particular parable is extremely well known, the Good Samaritan. And uh, so as hard as it's going to be, I want you to approach it and kind of read it, if you can, uh, with fresh eyes. Uh, look at what Jesus is really talking about. I'm going to try to put it into context uh, for us, and, uh, and let's take a look at it. So starting in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to read this familiar uh, parable. And the, the text is printed, by the way, in your bulletin if you want to uh, uh, read it there. And, uh, or out of, your, out of your scriptures. So you now hear God's word. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had pity on him. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Uh, This is God's word. These parables uh, are truly amazing. They made up 35% or more of Jesus' teaching. And so for us as kingdom people, we really need to pay attention to the parables. What was he saying? Was he just giving us moral lessons, trying to teach us how to behave? Or was there something more to the parables? And what I've told you from the very beginning is the parables are unique. They're not fables. They're not just moral and ethical lessons. Because to understand the parables, you really have to understand Jesus Himself. You have to know what He's all about. And to understand Jesus, you have got to understand His parables because they made up much, a third or more of His teaching. And so Jesus 
right away at the very beginning of his ministry gives us a parable and says, here is the parable that you will use as the key to understanding all of my parables. And it's the parable of the sower who sows the word and some of the seed falls on the wayside and some falls among stony ground, some falls in good soil, some is choked by weeds. And Jesus said, if you understand this parable, you'll understand every parable and this parable will allow you to interpret all the other parables. It's really quite remarkable. And so from the beginning of the series, I have told you that Jesus says in that parable, Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, that my kingdom comes not as a warrior, not with armies, but a farmer with seed. Not a military victory that's going to come and crush the Romans and restore the kingdom of God in immediacy through through violence and bloodshed. No, it's going to come through the agonizingly slow process of growth like a farmer, like crops growing. And you're often going to go through life and look every day, go and look and say, what's changed? What's nothing's changed? And it's going to become frustrating and it can be tense. And so the next week we talked about the parable of, that Jesus taught about building your life on a rock, not on the sand, in order to make it through that long kingdom growth. All of our lives sometimes are spent wondering if there's going to be fruit. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting to see? And Jesus said in order to make that long journey, that trek, build your life on a rock, not on the sand. And then the next week we looked at the parable of the pearl of great price, the pearl, the uh, hidden treasure in a field. And, and what Jesus is telling us is that as you, as you build your house on the rock, the thing that is going to hold you there, the thing that is going to be firm for you, that's going to secure you in your life, is having one thing that is the ultimate treasure for you. That you can't depend on it because everything else is going to get hit with storms. Like on the rock. You have to have something that is so precious, a treasure so deep, roots down so deep, an anchor that will hold inside the veil. You have to have that. And he said, that ultimate treasure is me, myself. We talked about the weeds growing with the wheat because living in this world, you know, read the newspaper, We live in a world of tension, a world of violence, a world of hatred. Even in our own country, look what's happening in Europe. The bombs going off in subway stations and we've had terror attacks here. And in other countries, which we kind of conveniently ignore, the horror is even greater. Christianity is being expunged in whole, whole areas of the world. In order to grow, we're going to have to understand there's tension in this world. There is tension. If you, don't make, if you don't make some sort of peace with the tension that we live in as Christians, you'll get overthrown and you'll get disappointed and you will get choked. Then we talked about forgiveness, that the root and ground of our lives is one of absolute love and devotion. God has forgiven us. And we looked at the parable of the two debtors, one owed 50, one owed 500. And, and Jesus said He frankly forgave them both. He gave them, he gave them both forgiveness. Because why? They didn't have any currency. They couldn't pay. So He had to forgive them both. Why? Because He loved them. And in return, 
this prostitute kneeling at his feet, wiping his feet with her tears and her hair, he said, look at her love. This is what we are looking for. This is the motivating factor in our lives, folks. Anything else is going to make Christianity odious. It's going to make it like, like a burden, and you're going to hate it. And I told you that week, give it up. Go join another religion. Find a better one, if you can. Christianity is going to require us to find our roots and find our motives somewhere else than just our morality and our good doing. It's not enough because we're going to need forgiveness. And then finally, the week before, we looked at the 7 times 70, very familiar parable. And how often do you forgive? Jesus said, you forgive infinitely. And let me just say this, and then we'll move on, and we'll go through the Samaritan quickly. Forgiveness, I think, I had a lot of questions about this from many of you, and I want you to hear something about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not, uh, uh, how can I say this? It's not uh, punctiliar. How do you like that? Anybody know what that means? I don't either. So anyway, no. Forgiveness is not always just a moment in time. Okay, I'm going to forgive them. You know, they murdered my family and they took away my property and I'm living here in a refugee camp. Oh, I'll just forgive. No, it may take you the rest of your life to forgive. That's why he said, how often do you forgive? Well, 70 times 7. You just work and work and work through forgiveness. And the basis of that forgiveness is the fact that we have indeed been forgiven infinitely number of times. And we'll always be forgiven. We will always find welcome. And so Jesus is telling us forgiveness is sometimes you can forgive and you can say, okay, it's over, I'm okay, we're good, everybody's good. Other times you may have to work through it over a long period of time. Don't be frustrated and don't beat yourself up if you're still struggling, if you're still angry, if you're still having to process that forgiveness. It can be punctiliar, it could be in a moment, it may take time. Either way, 70 times 7, you're not going to give up. You're not going to walk away. You're not going to say, I refuse to forgive. I will not forgive. Now you're in trouble. You do need to come see us. But if you say, you know what? I'm willing to be willing to forgive. You're okay. Keep going. Don't give up. 7 times 70. All right. So, what do we see today? Jesus kind of takes uh, an angle at this that I don't think we often see. And I, I have have to tell you, I haven't seen it. I had to read. I had to do a lot of reading, and thankfully, uh, some, there's some good people out there with great commentaries. What do you see when you're living your life? You're moving through life, and you're just going. What is it that you actually see? And I think what happens to us as Christians, what Steve Childers used to call redemption and lift. We get saved, and we get lifted out of the normal world, and we get lifted into the church, and all we see are other people just like us. In fact, if we took a, a, a scale of what everybody makes, I know some of you, you know, don't make much money, and I so, know some of you make lots gobs of money like me. You, you have tons of money. Okay, I, you know, we're all over the place, right? And we're all pretty much the same color with some variations. And we all pretty much have the same backgrounds. You know, we all put pretty much the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what the parable is saying is, what do you see when you look around? Are your eyes really open to the world around you? As kingdom people, are you seeing the world really as it is? 
Do we see the ravages? I mean, really, think about it. Do we see the ravages of sin? Or are we pretty much insulated? Because we're all good people. I mean, we're pretty good people. I am. I don't know about you. Pretty good people. Pretty normal. Right? What do we see? Do we see the ravages of sin? Do we see the hostility, the brokenness, the robbery, the nakedness, the brokenness, the bloody demand on the road? Do we really see that? Or have we insulated ourselves so much that we don't see it? Archbishop uh, William Templeton, I've shared this with you many times before, the church, listen to this quote, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Why did God leave it? Why didn't He save us and just take us to heaven so that we could be happy? Why? Why did He leave you here? And not just the minute you receive Jesus, Jesus come into my life, whatever, I accept you, I receive you, I repent, I believe the gospel, whatever you do, right? And he just, boom, takes us up to heaven, and it's, we're done. He leaves us here for what? To torture us? No, he leaves us here for the people sitting next to you. Maybe a spouse, maybe a relative, maybe a friend, maybe somebody you don't like. That's why I'm up here alone. All right, never mind. Just checking to see. Jeff's the only one awake this morning. Thank you, Jeff. All right, you get the idea, right? I mean, why did he leave? He left us here for each other and for this world, to make this world a, a better place, to redeem the creation. That's why we're here. And so let's look at these three things. We'll do them quickly. And if we need to come back in another week, we will. Three questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor? And who is neighbor to the robbed man? Those are the three questions. That There's a lot of questions in this parable. Those three, we're going to look at these three. The first one, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is the question of salvation. How, how do I orient myself in a way that I can be saved? He asks a good question, right? Don't we all wonder that? And then second, who's my neighbor? The question of relationship. Again, what do you see? What is your relationship to the world around you? What are you seeing when you look around? And finally, who was neighbor to the robbed man? This is really uh, the heart of the question. So the question of salvation, the question of relationship, and the heart of the question, which is, I think what Jesus is saying, is the heart of the question is how you see the world around you and do what you see move you? Does it do something inside? Does it move you to pity, to compassion? He uses a word, very striking word, that means to be moved from the inside all the way out. Is that what's moving? Is that what's motivating us as human beings to pity and compassion? So, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy that comes to Jesus very quickly, he's a lawyer, he's a theologian, he is an expert in the law, he is a studier of Scripture, he knows his Bible, and he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's testing him to see where Jesus is on the scale. What do you have to do to get saved? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must love, or he asks the guy, what does the scripture say? And the guy answers with the answer that most rabbis and scholars and lawyers and teachers of the law had come to agree was the summary of the whole law. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19. Where you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, Correct, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. In other words, they understood. Everyone understood. If I could love my neighbor as myself, if I could really do it, I could have eternal life. It's really possible. I can be saved by works. Are you listening? I can. And I'm here to tell you, as, along with Dr. R.C. Sproul and a number of other great scholars, you can be saved by your works. Jesus said it Himself, go do it and you'll live. So there you are, that's the end of the sermon. Have a nice day. What's the problem? Well, immediately, this is what's so brilliant about these narratives, by the way. Immediately, the lawyer, as well as everybody in this room, all of us, ask the question that opens the presupposition to that idea that we can actually be saved by our own works. That if I live, if I do the right thing, I can live. God told Adam and Eve, eat from the tree, any tree in the garden, eat from the tree of life, and you'll live. Don't eat from that tree though, because in the day you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. Right? So you can be saved by obeying God. Yes? Okay. I know some of you are wondering, is he, what is he talking about? You'll see. Hang on. How can I be acceptable to God? Jesus says obey the Bible. Do what it says. Love your neighbor. Love God. And you'll be saved. And like us, immediately our mind goes from the tree of life where? Where does it go? Where does it go? To the tree of knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> Whatever God said don't do, we go right to that. Weren't you ever a child? And didn't you ever have your parents say don't touch that? And the minute they walk out the room you go... <sniffs> of course. I mean this is what... This is what is so frustrating, isn't it, about living in the, in the, as a Christian? Is there's all this stuff and we're always trying to manage this life. And Jesus tells us, do this and you'll live. And like the lawyer, we ask the real question. Okay, I get it. But who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, sitting here in the comfort of this room and air conditioner going and everything's great, that's pretty easy. Everybody. I love everybody, right? Oh, I love everybody. Everybody. And then we'll wait a minute. And then as soon as we say, I love everybody, as soon as the last, the, as, la, as that rolls off your tongue, what happens? Somebody pops up in your mind. <laughs> right? And we have to start asking the question, who is my neighbor? Because we all are trying to qualify God's Word. See, the lawyer cannot leave that alone any more than you and I can. He just can't. I can't leave it alone. You mean I can be saved by my work? Yeah, just go do it. Well, let me ask you the question. What does that really mean? 
Just how far do I really have to go? Just what do I really have to do? Well, I just finished telling you. Do it all and you'll live. Do every bit of it. You'll live. I promise you. Have a nice day. And folks, we cannot, we can't bear that. We have got to start asking the question, who is my neighbor? Put any words with it that you want, but we will all find that qualifier, who is my neighbor. We'll all try to find the wiggle room. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Obey the law? Well, what do you mean by that? Who is my neighbor? The question of relationship. Look at verse 29. Desiring to justify himself. Desiring to justify himself. You see now Jesus has, has, has done his surgery. He has opened the man's heart and exposed him like he does us. He exposes him. And the man exposes himself. Who is my neighbor? Here's my heart now. I'm not going to obey you. I want to find the qualifiers. I want to find the loopholes. I want to find the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I want that one thing that will let me escape the burden, the overwhelming burden of having to obey you 100%. And every day, we do this so many times a day, I think we're used to it. I think it becomes habitual. And so Jesus opens it so that you can look at it. So once you take a look at it and you see it, see, I don't think you can unsee it. I think if you see it, you go, oh, okay. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. Desire any justify, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. And he gives this amazing story. And we get, I think we get confused. I always thought what he was saying is that the, that the Samaritan is supposed to be our neighbor. We're supposed to like the Samaritans, the people that we really hate. And that's really not where he's going, although that's probably true as well. But everyone tries to qualify themselves to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong, to make those ultimate decisions. So Jesus tells this parable of a man. Now listen very quickly. The man is unidentified. We don't know if he was Jewish. We don't know if he was... uh, a Samaritan, we don't know if he was a Roman, we don't know really what color he was, we don't know if he was black, we don't know if he was Hispanic and had gotten lost on the road to Albuquerque, we don't know where or who he was. We just know that he was injured, he's there on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets past, he's been robbed and he's bloody, he's unconscious, he's laying by the road, and two religious Jews, the most religious Jews, come by, see him, cross to the other side, and pass him by. What do you see? Jesus is saying, what do you see? What do you see out there? Well, they didn't see, they saw something, but they weren't going to see it. And they passed on by, left him in the road. And here comes the Samaritan. He comes and he has, it says very clearly, he has compassion. He has pity. He's moved by the condition. He actually saw what was going on. See, his eyes were open. And this would have been shocking and scandalous to a Jewish audience. What? A Samaritan? The lowest of the low? Are you serious, Jesus? He had compassion. The two religious guys don't have compassion. But this person has compassion? 
Do you remember when Aleppo was getting bombed? Do you all remember that Aleppo was getting decimated by ISIS? And the white helmets, the guys that came in, they're very famous. They won, I think, a Nobel Peace Prize or something, these guys. And they interviewed them. And I kept, I kept waiting during the interview of all these Syrian white helmet guys that were risking their lives to go in. We talked about it when it was happening. I used it as an illustration in a sermon. Going in to rescue these people in bombed out buildings. And I was waiting for one of them to be a Christian. You know how many of them were Christians? Take a wild guess. How about zero? They were all Muslim. Now what's going on there? These men are moved with compassion. And we want to demonize, not just Muslim, but any of you. Pick, pick your poison. Pick whatever you want. We find people to demonize and make them less than us. Yes? Make them less than us. And we consider ourselves better than them. And then they come along. They don't even believe like us. And they do something better than we do. This would have scandalized. The reason I'm bringing this up, it would have scandalized the Jews to know that there are people out there that are actually better than them more righteous than them, more obedient than them, more compassionate, more loving, more capable of pity than they are. So Jesus was laying this lawyer low. And He was laying everybody in the church low. He had that little church of people. Laying them low and saying, you know, you want to see real service and sacrifice and humility? Look at this guy. Who is my neighbor? No. Third question. Jesus flips the whole thing on his head and he says, now let me ask you a question. You ask me who's my neighbor, I want to ask you something. Who was neighbor to the robbed man? The heart of the question. Listen to this uh, from a commentator, uh, Dr. Howard Marshall. Amazing. We might have expected, listen, we might have expected a parable telling how a Jew should have shown love to anybody, even a Samaritan. That's what we would have expected. And I think we actually read it sometimes like that. We would have expected the parable telling how a Jew should show love to anybody, even a Samaritan. But in fact, Jesus shows how even a Samaritan may be nearer to the kingdom of God than a pious but uncharitable Jew. <laughs> Although the lawyer asked, who's my neighbor? Jesus suggests the real question is rather, do I behave as a neighbor to someone who needs it? Do I bread? You see, folks, here's, here's, the, here's what I want you to think about. I know this is hard. It was hard on me too. That's why I was sick last week. No, it's actually not. But it's very easy for us as Christians. Look, we gather, we sing our songs, we all get excited about the Lord, we shake hands, we do the secret handshake and the kumbayas and all. We all love each other. And that's good. And that's great. But it's very easy to come to church among a bunch of people that look just like us, that everything is all squared away and pretty much okay. And for us to say, I love my neighbor. 
But get put in a hard spot. And then what? It's easy to say we love God. How would you know? How would you really know? And Jesus said the real test is, are you moved with pity? Are, is your heart moved with pity? Is there something operating down inside each one of us more than just church and kind of fun religious stuff and I need to be spiritual and you know, Jesus, He's kind of cool and everybody in America is Christian so I'll be a Christian too. And, you know, and, and we just kind of go through like that. But what is really down deep? What is there underneath? Where does that pity come from? Listen, here we go. We love, the Apostle John said, we love, we have pity, we have compassion. We, uh, we are moved out of ourselves to love, serve, sacrifice for others. Listen, we love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, liar, liar, pants on fire. He who doesn't love his brother, who he's seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? This is the commandment I've given you. This is my... Can you hear Jesus? I know I don't look like Him. I'm not like Him. Not enough. But can you hear Him saying to you directly, this is the commandment I've given you. Love one another. Serve. Sacrifice. Whatever you have to do. Love one another. Oh my goodness. The weight of it. Do you feel the weight of it? I do. Whoever loves God must, must love his brother. Must. You mean I have to love everybody? This is what really is going on, right? Who's my neighbor? He's trying to qualify it. And Jesus said, who was neighbor to this man? Yes, you have to love everybody. Everyone. Whether they deserve it or not whether you know them or not, whether they're unnamed or not. I mean, you don't even know who they are. They're just a, a nobody, a nothing. Naked, bloodied, beaten, robbed, empty, no resources, no nothing, nowhere to go, no help, no nothing. There they are. Are you moved with compassion? Are you moved with pity? Do, here's the, the burning question, do you see yourself in that man? Do you? Every day of your life when you wake up in the morning and you take that first conscious breath, do you know that but for the grace of God, there go I. Do we know that? And I'm afraid folks in the West, we don't know it. We play church. We don't really know. And there's a lot of dead and wounded and bloodied and broken people. And you want to know the truth of it? I'll just be brutally honest. They're sitting in this church. You just don't know. You've got to look. They're here. One of them's up here. You've got to see it. You've got to see the brokenness of this life and actually be moved with compassion. Jesus said, love of neighbor 
is inseparable from love. You can't divide. You can't say, oh, I love my neighbor. I love God, but then not be moved with compassion. And so if you're not, if there's something binding inside of you so that you cannot let yourself go and love even your enemies, even the people bloodied by the side of the road, then go and look inside. What is going on inside of each one of us? Love and faith in God. Love in love. For God and faith in God have to have, they're, they're inseparable and they have to have their motive somewhere. It has to have its root, its fountainhead somewhere. John Calvin, didn't you like that? I'm going to quote Calvin right now so everybody perked up. John Calvin said, listen, we are saved by faith alone. It's faith alone which justifies. And yet, And yet, the faith that justified is what? Come on, you Calvinists. It's never alone. You have justifying faith? It's not going to be alone. It is going to show itself. Even if you're a wicked robber hanging on a cross next to Jesus and had been mocking Him for who knows how many minutes or hours he mocked Jesus and then something happened to that thief and he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus says back to him, today you'll be with me in paradise and the other robber starts mocking some more and this man, ready to die, ready to gasp his last, is able to say, why would you say this to him? Don't you see? Don't you see? Are your eyes not open? His eyes got opened. And he saw the bloody man. How can we claim to be kingdom people and followers of Jesus? How can we do it? When you look at the cross, my friends, when you look at Jesus hanging there on the cross, what do you see? And that's the question this parable is answering. It's not telling you how to be a good person. It's telling you what do you see. Do you see a world ravaged by sin? Do you see broken people sitting next to you? Do you see a pastor that needs your prayers? That needs your love in my life? Do you see a spouse, a friend, a child, a co-worker? Do you see the people around us close and far? And a world that's perishing that God has called us, commanded us to restore and rebuild and recreate? Do you see it? And the only way you can do it, I think, is looking at the bloody man on the cross. And you look at him. And you will be moved. If you know what that's all about, if you see the cross and what that is for you, it will move you. If you're not moved by that, we need to talk. If it's blasé, oh well, of course Jesus died for me because I'm really pretty good. Heaven wouldn't be as great without me there. Or do you see yourself broken, wounded, naked, without resource, without help, and God Himself being moved by compassion? Let me finish with this. Everyone knows this passage. For God so loved the world, what? that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not, what? Perish on the road, but have everlasting life. He answers 
this man's question in himself. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. And let your heart be moved by compassion, by pity to all those around us. Look at us. We're broken. We need it. So does everyone else. Let's pray. Father, help us, please, to take this massive parable that Jesus taught that we just we know so well, and yet it's almost like it doesn't even amaze us anymore. And you yourself had compassion and pity for us. You placed yourself at our disposal, made yourself nothing, a servant, a slave, that we might become the righteousness of God in you. Help us, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes. I pray that Christ the King would be a church as small as we are, as large as we are. It makes no difference, but at least a church of people with eyes wide open, looking around and seeing the brokenness of this world and moving out to do something about it because you moved to do something for us, to cleanse us from our sins, to bind up our wounds. You helped us. You saved us. And you had mercy on us. Help us, please, to do the same. I pray this in your Son's blessed name. Amen.